0: Straight from the WCHL studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, 97.9 The Hill presents the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show with your hosts, Chris and C.L. Brown. Tonight, the brothers debate if defense still wins championships, Kelly Bryan's UNC visit and welcome Sports Illustrated national NFL reporter Jonathan Jones. And now your ticket to the backyard brawl, the Sibling Rivalry Sports Show.
1: Welcome to the Wild Wild West side of the studio bringing his steel sidearm to the draw is cl brown senior writer for the athletic.com he shoots to kill and it don't take no prisoners with the flint fire sawed off stepping to the draw is chris brown the host and co-author of thunder sports network the book and juice tv show he gets creative like and is blasting better watch out for that critter gentlemen start your stepping this here is sibling rivalry sports CL draw. I couldn't look at you, man. I was gonna laugh
2: that entire time. I could not look over. I didn't want. I didn't want to mess up the, the flow.
1: <laughs> what about what? What do you mean, me? That was that was the wild wild west guy. That was the <laughs> right right the whole time, trying to channel that uh, that one guy, that actor. You know, I, 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 his name escapes me right now. Welcome to the show, folks. CL, how have you been? Great. One one week closer to the opening of college basketball, November sixth. Nice. Can't okay. wait. Can't wait. I'm happy for you. Meanwhile, I you know, I'm in bliss right now, enjoying the full breadth of NFL season and college football. Lots going on, and let's actually get into it right now with the big playback.
2: That's whack. This is the big payback. Hey, hey, hey.
1: Yes, thank you, EPMD. The big playback topic this week: Does defense still win championships? You know the old adage, "Defense wins championships." You know that. Is it still true with all this scoring, with everything that's going on? What are the indications, CL? You want to take a swing?
2: I I, I kind of went back and forth on this topic in my head, and and my conclusion before I did any research was that defense does not win championships. Once I did research and actually looked at teams that won championships, it seems like, yes, defense does win championships because those teams that won tended to be in the top five or whatever of mm-hmm. of uh, scoring defense and things like that, yardage defense. But I'll, I'll say this. I, I still lean towards... Defense does not win championships. And I'll say it in the in in the sense of when when we were coming up, when you thought of a dominant defense, Mm -hmm. my prism I'm looking through the prism of the steel curtain defenses of the seventies, Pittsburgh Steelers defense. Nineteen seventy six, Pittsburgh Steelers allowed nine point nine points per game. That was a killer D. Nine point nine. That my friends is, is a defense. You know, so I, I think in terms of that, I think of a shut down defense.
1: Do you know why they were so excellent? That that still curtain. Do you know why? I'm going to tell you maybe one part of it because there are no Ravens in the in the man. Uh, get out of it! But uh, <laughs> I digress. All right, let's play a little game real quick. So, oh, were you were you done? Yes. You wanna, let's play a little game. All right, I'm going to name a team, and I just want you to tell me what you think of first with this team, defense or offense. Okay? okay, And I'm going to give you the year too So we're just going to kind of go Let's just go backwards 2017 Alabama
2: uh, Defense
1: 2016 Clemson
2: Offense 2015 Alabama Probably defense again 2014 Ohio State oh, Man how are you starting to start <laughs> My memory started. don't go back that,
1: that far <laughs> I would probably say offense Alright l- l- Let's skip How about 2010 Auburn, you know, Cam Newton. Offense,
2: Cam was the best player on the field. Okay. Although I think Oregon should have won that game, but I digress. 2007 LSU. They had some, man. You know what's funny with that team? I felt like they had some heavy hitters on offense that were essentially held back. True. So it wasn't like they didn't have weapons, but... I mean, generally speaking, if if you're talking about an SEC team, nine times out of ten, I'm going to say defense. Right, right. Because they're not the, you know, if we talk about Oklahoma or somebody or Oregon or uh, even the Florida State, I would say offense, Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. typically.
1: well, let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Uh, you, you're you're pretty spot on in what you were saying there with these teams. But all of these teams had basically top echelon, you know, top 25-ish defenses. The t- all the teams I just named. All of them. Including 2015 Clemson. You know, yeah, we do think offense with that team. But they actually had the, you know, they had a number twenty-four ranked defense. They had a number ten ranked defense in two thousand sixteen. They, you know, these teams, Ohio State, even Oregon, even Oregon, you know, had a number thirty rated ranked defense. That's not awesome, but it's something. That doesn't compare to what you're talking about, though. About defenses.
2: that's my point. Yes, my my point is the suffocating defenses. I'll even throw you a bone and say the Ravens back in, what, 2001? Oh, yeah, 2000, yes. 2000, yes. 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 That yes. that was a defense you looked at like, man, you know, you, you would throw them up with some of the great defenses, the the 85 Bears, you know, the, oh, the yeah. vintage Steeler defenses. That's what I'm talking about, the shutdown defense. And, I mean, as much as we talk about uh, uh, Alabama's defense from last year, 2017, it was offense that won the game for him.
0: It oh, was yeah. Tua
2: coming in and lighting it up. It wasn't that sure. they shut down sure. Georgia right. to win the game, it was that offense took over.
1: Well, you know, I'm talking about an abstract though. They had the number one rated defense, and that was a couple seasons running there. So I mean defense got him there and, and, and kept that game in their control until they could bring in Tua and he you know, he went wild. Let's let's jump to the NFL though. NFL. It's CL, it's the same thing. 2017, Philadelphia, New England, 4-5. 16, New England, Atlanta. Okay, New England, Atlanta. Who do you, Atlanta, do you think defense or offense with that Atlanta team from two seasons ago?
2: You know what? I think that Atlanta team was an offensive team that, and I feel like this happens in college, too, a lot of times. You have an offensive-minded coach mm. that forgets about his defense. True, like, you true. play that tempo, Very true. And, and when... Atlanta had the ball. They were in field goal position. Matt Ryan ends up getting sacked, and they end up getting, I guess they punted in that possession, that—that that in regulation still, that gave the New England the ball back if they had a coach that was thinking about his defense and thinking about the amount of plays, it wasn't that Atlanta had a bad defense to me against New England at Super Bowl. It was okay. that they played, they were on the field so much, they got worn down. And so I felt like if you had a coach that was thinking defensively, you run the ball. Like a coach, sure. a defensive coach 9 out of 10 times is going to be one of those ball control going to establish the Very run true. kind of football coach. So um, yes, I think Atlanta offensive on that team, but uh, I, I think their offense sabotaged their defense in that game.
1: Oh my goodness, Seal! In more ways than one, because you're, you're spot on. I think that a defensive-minded coach can get he can get a little enamored with a quarterback and a, 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 a Julio Jones at receiver. He can get because you know Dan Quinn ran the Seahawks defense. He's supposed to be, but he never showed it. They had the 27th ranked defense in New England had the number one ranked defense. And so, hence, somebody could say, well, hence the comeback. There there you go. I mean, I'm just saying, that type of thing. De- well, uh, but see, I feel like NFL,
2: you could look at it almost as more balanced because Denver in in 2015, um, uh, well, no, no, the, they, they ended up winning on defense. But, um uh, I'm trying to think of the right example here.
1: 2013, is that what you're talking about? When they were like the top offense maybe ever, and then they went up against that buzzsaw Seahawks team? They were the 22nd ranked defense that year.
2: That's uh, my, I, I wrote my numbers down wrong. <laughs> I'm looking at my, my sheet here now. Okay. But I, I I just think, too, that there's also another adage that your best defense is a good offense. Uh-huh, I true. think that's more applicable Nowadays, Because when you have an offense that can score and that can keep putting pressure on a team to feel like they have to score and they have to match you and instead of getting field goals, they have to score touchdowns, so they they may be more inclined to take a little risk and go forward in certain situations, things like that. I, I think offense, and this goes basketball too, football, basketball, whatever, I feel like you can put pressure on a team because your offense is so good.
1: Okay, well, the last thing I would say, Sia, as a man who who has supported that, that NFC, I mean, I'm sorry, AFC North smash-mouth real defense playing division, I would say that you know good and well that these teams that are juggernauts are going to, boom, run into a defense. And it's going to be over, my brother. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> but we're
2: going to go out on that note the big playback and come back with a special guest, Jonathan Jones from Sports Illustrated. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports Show on 97.9 The Hill. We have a special guest for you today, national NFL writer, for Sports Illustrated now, Jonathan Jones, also a Carolina grad, also uh, like myself, an, an alum of the Charlotte Observer. How you doing
0: tonight, Jonathan? Yes, sir. I'm doing well. I appreciate y'all having me on.
2: Hey, thanks Thank for you. joining thanks us. For being here. Thanks for joining us. We're gonna jump right in to uh, to the NFL right now. I feel like uh, the Panthers specifically are are offensively on a level, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like they're on a level where uh, they can get back to the playoffs, they can get back to to dreaming Super Bowl because North Turner has come in and and got Cam Newton playing at a high level again. What do you feel like is, uh, what has been kind of the key to their dynamic and and getting on, getting their synergy early on in this season with him
0: coming in for the first year? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly early in the season, at least through the first three games of the season, we saw that synergy. We saw Cam uh, completing uh, a higher percentage of his passes than ever before. And a lot of that was him kind of taking the layup. And we, we had talked about that a lot over the years. Uh, and every year it seemed like, all right, Cam's going to take those check downs. He's not going to bomb it downfield every, every you know, possession. Uh, and so we started to see that. And it took a little time, but we started to see it well. These past two games, uh, against New York and against Washington, we've seen this offense regress a little bit. Uh, you know, and, and so you do have to worry after seeing what happened against Washington, uh, that they didn't have stunning offensive performances coming out of their bye, as if, you know, all right, we see what the Panthers are doing if you're the opponent. We see what the Panthers are doing after three weeks. Now let's adjust to that. And so the Panthers, really no unit on the Panthers has played well the past two weeks. Uh, but the offense obviously struggled last week against the Washington team that they uh, very well should have beaten. But all that said, has North Turner unlocked Cam Newton, uh, it seemed that way through three weeks. But mm-hmm. obviously, uh, plenty of time to to get the ship back on track here uh, going into week seven. Yeah, and it's
2: it's a long season, so <laughs> so we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But um, one question I had with the Panthers was with with their new owner. Uh, David Tepper, just how how have you seen um, what are the ways he's kind of implemented his mark on this franchise since since he's taken over?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, he's he's clearly a different cat than Jerry Richardson, right? And and so what what the Panthers have have very smartly done is you know. It's easy for David Tepper to, to, you know, get some wins. It's easy for him to put on a Panther stat, to walk out to a tailgate, to have a beer in his hand, you know, to, to slap some backs and always have a smile on his face. Uh, and that's just something that Jerry Richardson has never done, had never done, and certainly wasn't doing in his, in his uh, final years as owner. And then, of course, to be ousted from his position as unceremoniously as he was. And, you know, it, it, now you have David Tepper talking about social justice issues, getting involved, meeting with the Mecklenburg County District Attorney, along with uh, Tory Smith, the water steward, to discuss bail reform. These are things that obviously Jerry Richardson never would have done, and that's what we even start talking about uh, signing Eric Reed. And so, you know, right now there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of goodwill that he has engendered. Uh, and and I completely understand why. But the one interesting thing that I will point out that I don't think a lot of people are necessarily realizing, this is not David Tepper's number one job. And it's kind of a crazy thing to say, going from a Jerry Richardson to... This was his entire legacy, was the Carolina Panthers, right? Yeah. And he was there every day, and you always knew where Jerry Richardson was. Like, David Tepper is is hardly there because, you know, he's managing a multibillion-dollar hedge fund, and he is now the richest owner uh, in the NFL.
1: Is that
2: all? Multibillion-dollar hedge <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's
1: interesting. You know, that's interesting. I think there there are owners that are hands-on all the time, and there are owners like that who are doing various things and and doing them well. Here's a question, though, Jonathan. I'd like you to dial it back. Uh, even more a little bit because that's so funny that you talked about that talked about Richardson we uh, t- went over that subject that topic a couple weeks ago on our special Sunday edition of the show and we we kind of bantered back and forth on you know whether or not Richardson did things with 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 players that were not exactly model citizens per se and so you know whether he tolerated players that were not not quote model citizens or whatever so we of course the name Steve Smith came Came up, and so I just want to get your impression of Steve Smith. Would you say? Would you say that part of who he was in his time there was a rebel?
0: Oh, most definitely. Uh, you know, and, and Steve and, and Jerry have uh, have long had a very interesting relationship. I don't want to speak for Steve. Uh, since the news because he'll show up you know, he speak for him, he will show up <laughs> right yeah exactly so I certainly don't want to don't want to speak for him uh, and his relationship with Jerry Richardson since December when the news broke and obviously everything happened since then but I can tell you pre-December when Sport, before Sports Illustrated broke that story that he had a great relationship with Jerry Richardson um, that he never spoke poorly about Jerry uh, in public and I can say that in private I've had a number of conversations with him and he never spoke poorly about Jerry in private either and so um you know it, it, it's it's always been interesting because steve does not have uh the 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 most glowing track record right off of the field. There's no doubt at all about that. Um, but he, he and Jerry respected one another and still, I, I assume, still respect one another. Again, I don't know that. Uh, but, no, it, it is interesting. And so uh, you would have to imagine that in a couple of years sooner rather than later that he's going to go up in, into the Panthers' ring of honor because I think that he is a, a Hall of Famer, not first or second ballot, but I think that he is eventually going to, to be in Canton down the road. For sure, I,
2: I just to fill you in a little bit, Jonathan. The entire the entire existence of this show is basically settling arguments between myself and my brother Chris. <laughs> and so, so this Steve Smith question is kind of part uh, part of settling argument because th- this was right before the Panthers was going to sign Eric Reed, and my my take was that never would have happened under J. Richardson because Reed was a player who challenged authority, and so his example of Steve Smith. Was somebody that like like I felt like you can't equate what Eric Reed did and what Steve Smith, what you know, whatever little transgressions he had. I, I felt like you couldn't equate those two because that wasn't directly challenging Jerry Richardson's authority.
0: Right. And, you know, I mean, like Cam, Cam Newton challenged Jerry Richardson, challenged Jerry Richardson authority, but he wasn't, you know, kneeling during the national anthem. And so and it came out And Jerry Richardson. I'll say this, you know, I completely disagree with Jerry Richardson's stance on on speaking up against social injustices during a football game, right? And he did not want to, quote unquote, politicize the game. He wanted to keep that off the field. I completely disagree with him. However, when, when Donald Trump said what he said last September, and when you know you saw all of those protests break out around the league, what you saw were dozens and dozens of statements from teams and team owners that were these mealy mouth like, half statements where they were trying to satisfy yeah. both sides. I at least respected Jerry Richardson for coming out and saying, yeah, I don't really dig all that. <laughs>
1: Nice. I'll okay. give him that. I'll give him that. All right. So, another thing we've been talking about uh, actually today, uh, tonight, I'm sorry, on the show, is scoring. What do you make, Jonathan, of all this scoring? Some people say the game of the year was the last week, the Sunday night game between New England and Kansas City 43 40, which is just crazy. All this scoring, what do you attribute that to?
0: Yeah, I mean, any any number of factors. I mean, we can we can go really deep into the weeds, and we can talk about how you know there's been a trickle up from high school spread offenses, and you obviously have seen it in colleges, and now it's finally coming to the NFL after years of the NFL, um, you know, saying that that would never work. And the NFL is most definitely a reactive re- league rather than a proactive league. You look at the NBA, for example, that's a very proactive league on and off the court. The NFL is the opposite of that in a number of ways on and off the field. Um, And so you can look at that. You can look at the perceived ratings um, issue that they had. And it was a real ratings issue that they had, but uh, a lot of other TV shows and programs were dealing with the ratings issue uh, the past two years as well. But now what you're seeing, this early sample size, hey, we have a lot more offense, we have a lot more points, a lot more people are tuning in. Uh, And so I think that they have seen a positive correlation to more points uh, and more viewers, and then of course you cannot discount uh, gambling and fantasy football, which of course go hand in hand. Uh, where the, obviously fantasy football is is you know for the most part um, you know based on offensive points and yards, uh, and more and more people are interested in that, and more and more money is being put into that, and more and more people are watching the NFL because of that, and so. All of these things work hand-in-hand, those are just three examples, and you can really kind of branch off those three into three others uh, and and sort of kind of build this pyramid. But I think that those are three of the main reasons uh, that we're seeing this offensive explosion in the NFL right now.
1: Okay, all right, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Hey, I, okay, I'm gonna totally shift gears here and just kind of uh, let people know a little bit about who Jonathan. We want want people to know about Jonathan Jones a little bit. Now when you were a student here on a campus at Carolina, where where was your like where did you wheres the favorite spot that you stayed? Did you stay in a dorm or how did that work?
0: Oh man, back in the day, so yeah, I mean, once you kind of got out of the, the dorm life and I lived at Erring House and then at Morrison. Uh, I lived at, at Earing House uh, with with no AC. I don't know if there are even any units still there with no AC, but I was paying my whole way through college, and so I was like, "Yeah, let me go ahead and get that cheap room with with no unit in it." Um, but no, you, you know, once you got off campus, it was uh, it was always you know pregame, and then for me, it was either he's not. Uh, good fellows or it was top of the hill and that's where I always was um, en- enjoying a beverage or two you know of course when I became of age of
1: course <laughs> of course of course thank you for adding that for the young people and hey, listen so so when once you got out there and I would say that you're paying your way through college paid off props to you and congratulations to you but once you once you got out there and, and got in the field and you're seeing the success when you're interacting with NFL players specifically ones that have come through Carolina do you is there a, a nice Rapport that happens? Do you say, "Hey, I'm a Tar Heel"? Do you do it
0: like that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Obviously, I was covering that team. Um, goodness, well, you know, 09, 10, and eleven. So you had some some dogs on that team, right? True. I mean, you you had you had Robert Quinn. Uh, who, you know, I still run into and, and, you know, ran into uh, in college. Trey Boston had just kind of gotten there. And, of course, you know, I I remember talking to uh, Zach Pianalto, the 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 former tight end uh, for the Tar Heels. And he was on, I think, the Panthers training camp roster one time or something. And I asked him a question, and he kind of did a double take. and he's like, I, th- I thought that voice was familiar, and we sat <laughs> up afterward. And so, you know, just like anything else in any other profession, you're always going to work for your in, and, and you know, try to find that, that common ground. And so, uh, I was fortunate enough to come through Carolina at a time where they were, where Butch Davis was getting those recruits, they were going into the NFL, and then I got to the NFL when those guys were funneling into the league. So, for the first couple of years, that was definitely the common ground that I was trying to find in locker rooms.
2: Well, you you got to the league, all right. So, um, I was curious. Uh, you just did a story uh, on on uh, Sunday on the Steelers win over the Bengals, and and uh, maybe that being a uh, turning point for for Pittsburgh reestablishing its identity and that kind of thing. So I, I was wondering if you had any kind of insight on Le'Veon Bell and his situation. Um, it seemed like reports this week are now saying that he's not going to report this week. Uh, Pittsburgh is going to his bye week, and uh, and and I, I wanted to get your take just on: Did he get? Do you feel like he got bad advice? Do you feel like his whole holdout strategy ended, ended up backfiring against him?
0: you know it's difficult to say I'll, I'll tell you this each week it's been more difficult to understand based off conventional wisdom uh because conventional wisdom says all right you got franchise tag all right you want to hold out to the beginning of the season all right but you're going to come back on labor day and you're going to play for the team in week one and then when that didn't happen of course we saw what the locker room had to say about levy what really doesn't make sense and, I, and again all of this is unconventional but they're on a buy this week and and he could collect eight hundred some thousand dollars this week when all he has to do is just show up to a meeting, hmm. right? That, that's it. He doesn't even have to play a game. There's no injury issue here. He could just show up for the bye, go ahead and make that money, and then you know he starts it up the next week. Uh, and I guess, what, what is that, week eight uh, of the NFL season? So that's a, that's a tough part to, to kind of figure out. But all that said, if the question is did he get that advice, if you're Le'Veon Bell, you believe – that the money that you've given up that you will end up recouping in 2019 and beyond in guaranteed money and what you have done is essentially uh you you have saved yourself from any injury possibility or you have at least reduced that injury chance uh, as much as you can as much as you possibly can so I, I do understand it if he believes that when he gets that big guaranteed deal in 2019 that he makes those millions back that he's left on the table for the first six weeks Plus more, because what what he's going to say is, look, my body is healthy. I didn't have 400 touches this past year. I had 170. Uh, you know, uh, he, he has missed a lot of time previously due to injury and as well as suspension. So he doesn't really have the mileage on him that somebody who is used as much as he is used should have at his age. But, you know, it's, it's to be seen. I, I don't, I don't know how this is going to work out for Le'Veon. Uh, but I would, I would caution against using conventional wisdom and applying that to Le'Veon because I think that he is doing something that no one else in the NFL has done. I don't want to make him act this sound like he's Robin Hood. But I do think mm-hmm. there is some of, hey, if I do this and I do it right, this is the path for for dudes who come after me.
2: Yeah, well, uh, I think the emergence of James Conner will make it interesting. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe he would wouldn't have had as much usage as as he was, you know, apprehensive about having. Right. In this season, anyway.
1: Well, uh, that'll do it, Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan Jones, thank you so much for joining us. I, I did want to just say that, you know, I, I support the Ravens. I'm a Ravens backer, so I look forward to your article on the Ravens, which I'm sure coming up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, you know what? I'll will t- t- give you the stat about the Ravens. Okay, they have yet to allow a touchdown after halftime this season, and it is the first time in NFL history through six games of the season that a team has not allowed a second half touchdown since I believe the nineteen thirty four Lions. Yes. So, I, wow! I mean, when when you can when you can you know best a stat that's eight decades old, that means that you're probably going to be playing in January.
1: Nice. I love that thank you so much and we're gonna have you back just to talk just about that <laughs> no actually we're gonna have you back because you're awesome. Jonathan Jones national NFL writer for Sports Illustrated you catch him at uh, on Twitter at JJ Jones 9 and you can catch him you know the morning Monday morning quarterback on Sports Illustrated just all over the place a great Tar Hill alum who's doing big things check him out thank you so much for being here on sibling rivalry sports Jonathan.
0: hey appreciate it fellas.
1: Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports here on 97.9 The Hill, where we always chill. We're going to be talking about college football right here and right now. There is something that I think is percolating. It's very exciting, CL, and that is the visits that Kelly Bryant, former Clemson quarterback, is making. And why would I think that right now? It's because Kelly Bryant was in Chapel Hill last weekend. Kelly Bryant has just entered the Arkansas domain as we speak. I think he is in Arkansas visiting them, giving them a visit. Those are the only two that we know of. But what have you heard about his visit to Chapel Hill?
2: Well, it it seemed from outside looking in. I don't, I don't have any any kind of exclusive insight into it, but it seems like it was a great visit, just based on the the atmosphere in Keenan Stadium for the game against Virginia Tech. Uh, the kind of the the way students chanted his name. You know, pe- people knew he was here. It wasn't like some of these recruiting visits where. Uh, you know, it's a bunch of guys you know are recruits because they look like football or basketball players, and you see them getting shuttled around. But yeah. you know, you have no idea who it is. So
1: everybody knew knew what it was yeah. <laughs> when they saw him. Oh, I oh, listen, I think that was the perfect environment. Now I don't know what his decision will be, but I think that was the perfect pitch. For University of North Carolina on Saturday, the students went wild for him. The 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 crowd in general was very fired up. Things were happening that never happened, like the fourth quarter chant. Uh, the team, you know, ran down towards the tar pit. They never do that. You know, he saw a lot of excitement. He saw needy quarterback play, too. He saw that. And I'm, that's not an insult. I'm just saying there were things that happened that he, he could look at and say, well, you know, I might I might be able to do that. But my, my I do have a little inside scoop, and it's from Mitch Mason, the coolest chaplain on the block. Mitch Mason is the chaplain to Tar Heel Sports, and he told me that he, he met – he met Kelly Bryant, you know, because he, he talks with the recruits and everything, and he shows them around a little bit. Mitch said that he was a great young man, and they hit it off like family. That's all I need to hear. That is all I need to If You know, we've given this young man the best pitch. I'm sorry, we, but Carolina has given this young man the best pitch. If he decides not to come to Carolina, there's nothing else that Carolina could have done, because that, that, that was a great pitch the other night.
2: Well, uh, it's like that for a lot of recruits. They they come and get the best pitch ever, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about the best situation for that individual. And I think this Arkansas visit he's supposed to take will be interesting because Chad Mars, the head coach at Arkansas, recruited him to Clemson back when he was the offensive coordinator. So there's a, a pre-established relationship that they have. Uh, I think the program at Carolina maybe has a little bit more pieces than Arkansas does to be... To take a step forward next year, um, if Brian is under center, you know, than if he goes to Arkansas. But I, I don't know the total nice package point. at Arkansas. But uh, still, a that, good point. Be interesting. But so we have uh, probably the ACC game of the year up to this date True. coming up: Clemson and North Carolina State, the only two undefeated teams, the only two
1: ranked teams in the ACC right now. Uh, who you got? Oh, definitely Clemson. Definitely, there's. I I know that NC State has been preparing. NC State came close. Uh, This is in Raleigh. Yes, this game's in Raleigh. No, it's in Death Valley. Yeah, forget about it. Okay, (laughs) that's it. I'm done. Well, I think
2: for the good of the league, Clemson probably needs to win this game because otherwise, I, I don't see. I don't. Maybe if NC State ran the table. They would get a, a crack at the college football playoff. You you would think an ACC undefeated ACC championship. Uh, undefeated ACC champion would get a place in that 14th but obviously Clemson is is a little bit better situated right now (laughs) to get the benefit of doubt and everything even if they end up having one loss because of their recent past history getting to the playoffs so um it'll be interesting for the league it's it's been a down and tough tough year for the league so far so uh
1: maybe maybe this will be some fireworks we need all right. Well, let's move on to college basketball then. Speaking of fireworks, we have seen some fireworks. CL, could you tell everybody about this? Well, um, <laughs> it's so funny to me on,
2: on Twitter how people react. So last week during Carolina's Basketball Media Day, Coach Roy Williams had a statement. He was asked about the FBI corruption trial and in, in, uh, looking into co- corruption in college basketball. And he basically said he's unfamiliar with that world. The the things that they were speaking of in the trial, the payments and and the influencers trying to essentially uh, move move kids through payments. So uh, this week Duke's Duke's media day, Coach K basically said he understood exactly where Roy was coming from, yeah. and he he basically said the same thing. He's unfamiliar with that word, and people on
1: Twitter went bananas. <laughs> bananas do you have the heather Dennage? i do heather dennich uh from espn college football she covers the playoffs and other things she's covered the acc a long time ago too she said this in her twitter she tweeted this out this is an ignorant statement on so many levels from somebody who's supposed to be a leader in the sport if you care about it pay attention to it the hashtag not my problem response isn't a response at all I was like, yo, that girl is fired up. We gotta have her on the show.
2: Yeah, that was yeah. <laughs> she went in on that one. And and to to a degree I I, I agree with her to a certain degree. But I feel like I kind of feel like both Roy Williams and Mike Shoshewski, they didn't explain their positions far enough because I think of course they are aware. Of hearing I'm sure they've heard deeper stories than I've heard just being loosely connected to the recruiting. they're actually doing the recruiting so I'm sure they've heard kind of the the ins and outs of the, the underworld if you will but because they' they are not involved with those kind of things they're not going out asking you know shoe companies to pay for players so they can get players uh, that's that's what they speak of that's what they're saying they don't know anything about that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I really agree with that take. I, I think that, I, I you know what, I have to admit I was kind of enjoying that they agreed and it was kind of a public nod and hat tip kind of, kind of rare. I, you know, I, I was like, Hey, that's, that's interesting. CL though. I got to say on your Twitter at CL, at CL Brown hoops, right? Uh, your Twitter, the reactions to when you reported those two statements were the wildest I've <laughs> ever seen on your Twitter. Like gif, 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 get like just all people like, Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. But I was like, wow, this really got people ignited.
2: I, I was kind of surprised at a reaction too, but it, I, I feel like it's all in fun at the end of the day, but I I do think that, to heather Dennis' point, when, when you sit in the programs of Carolina and Duke, you do have a little bit more of a burden of leadership. And so, um, you know, uh, both, both Roy and Coach K have, have spoken about the ills of the sport before and ways to clean it up. So it's, it's not like they never have a position and they only care about their programs. But I think this would have been an opportunity for them to, to basically have a firm stance and, and to get another message out there.
1: All right. Well, let's get another message out there after we hear from our friends that allow us to be on the air here. Quick break. Come on back for the brownout. You know we're going to go out with the bang here on Sibling Rivalry Sports 97.9 The Hill. Thanks for staying tuned and coming back to Sibling Rivalry Sports here on 97.9 The Hill. Without any further ado, let's hit the brownout brown out you know the drill my friends quick hitting topics quick hits on our takes let's go kansas city receiver tyreek hill pled guilty to domestic abuse in 2015 in light of his past legal transgressions, should he pursue legal action against the beer splattering fan in new england cl what you got
2: i say chalk it up to karma and keep it moving I don't think Hill should pursue anything. It it was, after all, a beer. He's already washed it off, I'm sure, by now. Let's keep it moving.
1: As my boy Toby Max says, forgiveness, forgiveness. Come on, people. He's done every single thing. Now, maybe I'm a little sensitive because of a man named Ray Rice who did the same thing. He did something very horrible and then did everything he could to make himself a better man and apologize. I think Tariq is doing the same thing in light of his past. And that, that's ridiculous for somebody to throw beer on you. That that gets That's a whole topic right there. That's a whole show right there. You take this guy out uh, legally, that is. Next. Ohio State junior Nick Bosa announced he'll withdraw from school to rehab injury to core muscle and prep for the draft. Do you think this will become a trend? Wow, Nick
2: Bosa took it a step further than than the guys who had just set out bowl games. Do I think it'll be a trend that's hard to say, yes, but I do believe that athletes today, more than ever before, understand their worth, understand their value for the for the professional leagues, and this could be something that guys start to consider. I feel like more for basketball than for football for guys to shut stuff down early, but um, I, I think it could be be
1: later on be a trend. I would actually love to hear why the, we're gonna have to revisit that. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a trend. I think it's I think it's a little selfish. I'm sorry, that's just my take on it. Let's let's just keep moving. com published a series of posts from select reporters on the worst team they ever covered. What's the worst season you ever had as a fan? CL, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? This is an easy one for me because
2: the 86 Pittsburgh Steelers went 6-10, and which, which isn't horrible on surface, isn't horrible. But the one thing that stood out about that season, do you know what it is? No, no. Season opener, thirty to nothing loss at Seattle. Oh my gosh! This was back yeah, to fill you in, folks, this was back when Chris Brown was a Seahawks fan. <laughs> Thank you for that. Subtitle. Thirty to nothing.
1: Wow, I totally remember that. Yeah, wow, wow, wow. How did I forget that? Well, yeah, let's go back to my days as a Seahawk, actually, because you know it's before the Ravens existed as a team. But 1980, that was one of the first years that I was well that was really the first full season I was cheering on the Seahawks as a kiddo. they got beat on Monday night 51 to seven. I don't appreciate that I had to go to school the next day. Do you understand the trauma and and and, and you know CL observed it he knew the score these years later CL told me the score these years later because he knew what that cost. That was the one other time that I, I renounced those guys but that was only for like a night.
2: That was worse than the Monday night against Oakland when uh, Bo Jackson, or, or was it LA? I guess technically <laughs> yeah. LA Raiders when yeah. Bo Jackson ran for five thousand yards.
1: Oh yeah, that ninety-one yard touchdown. He just ran right out of the stadium after that. Look, look. I, do you you have any idea how many arguments I've had on that thing because he bowled over uh, Ryan Bosworth? Um, yeah. Uh, another traumatic event but that that 80 team was 4 and 12 that's not the worst record in the world but it's like you that just that event was not fun so there you have it hey you know what let's look to next week CL I mean we got some great <laughs> stuff I want to get past this trauma and look to something great and that is talking to some members of the UNC Tar Heel basketball team next week
2: I got some homework for you folks, too, before we get into that. I did a story on the Athletic.com
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: college basketball page on the tradition of the Carolina Mile. Dates back to when Dean Smith first took over as head coach, his first season in 1965-66. They've been running it ever since. And this year they may not have run it. wasn't sure that they weren't going to do it, but Luke May and Kenny Williams spoke up to make sure that they did it and got it done. So That's your uh, homework. Athletic.com.
1: Check that out. Okay. I'd like to thank actor Sam Elliott for doing our open, and uh, we're going to go ahead and call it a night. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to be back with some great stuff next week. My name is Chris Brown. I'm C.L. Brown. And this is Sibley Rivalry, Rivalry Sports. Sports, only on 97.9 The Hill.